out of context tagline. I want a mulligan. I want a do-over. See, like that. That's good. Howdy. <laughs> Welcome to the 100th episode of the Managing Expectations podcast. We have a very special episode for you today. Uh, we have a special guest. We've got the band back together, at least much of the band. And so uh, uh, I'm your host, Jeff Winger. Um, with me, as always, uh, we have the aide-de-camp, Brian Grimm. Howdy, Brian. Howdy, Jeff. Nice to be with you today. We have my nephew by marriage, Paul Southern. Howdy, Paul. Hey, Uncle Jeff. How's it going? <laughs> you know I prefer cool Uncle Jeff. Sorry, my bad. My bad. You want to do this one again? Because <laughs> of the way I buy you beer. <laughs> and get me those sweet, sweet smokes. And our special, our special guest star, uh, our special, special guest. Who is a star? I'm a star. Baby, yeah. baby, you're a star. Chris Levine of the Refresher podcast. Chris, thanks for being with us. No problem, Uncle Jeff. Okay, you, you're not my nephew by marriage. It's nice to be here. I love your guys' podcast very much. I listen to every single one of them. Thank you. And he he listens to him as a training exercise. To he, he writes notes to himself. Don't do that. Don't do this. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a bad example is the best teacher. There we go. That's what we strive to be. Is that why you've been friends with me all these years? <laughs> hey, you know what I like about this so far is, is that, like, I, I noticed our backgrounds are pretty cool. There's art going on, books going on, records going on. I, there's, there's, I, I like it. It kind of feels like a pretty nice atmosphere, you know? You'd almost think that we're four sensitive and bright fellows. But I'm going to keep talking, <laughs> and that will disabuse <laughs> you and anyone else. Um, Chris, uh, how many how many records in your collection? I don't know. I at one time I counted 1,200, and I haven't really. That's been a while. It's been a while, but that's been like a lifelong thing, you know. So. So, so when you've moved, and as you've simplified your life in recent years, you you've hung on to all your records or something. I have a very cool wife. Um, a few different times, we moved, and I told her, you know what, we don't need to keep them. It's okay. You know, I, I I've enjoyed them. You know, I can get anything I want to listen to digitally now. You know, so it's no, it'd be okay. And she's like, nah, you got to keep your records. Your records are, you know, 
and and I and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. There they they there is a certain warmth to them being around, you know. But uh, yeah, we've we've if anything, I've added to them. All right, all right. By the way, this is a to totally a side point, but uh, I believe Mrs. Winger had a lunch had lunch with Mrs. Levine uh, earlier today. I think you're right. Now that you mention yeah. it, yeah, yeah, very nice. Nice. That's what's hap That's what happens, Brian, when you live in the same state <laughs> as your dear friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we we've been playing. Okay. So we are pleasantly surprised uh, to have hit our 100th episode. Uh, we kind of wanted to do. I don't know. I was I was a little bit torn between. You know. Hey, it's 100 is just a number. Uh, and just, you know, just rolling and having a normal show. But I believe, fellas, you, you, you can speak up, but you, you kind of wanted to do something a little uh, celebratory. Yeah, I think a little pomp and ceremonies in order. We wanted yeah. to celebrate Jeff. Me and me and Brian got together separately, and we decided we need to celebrate Jeff because <laughs> this is his moment to shine, and people need to see <laughs> Well, we and we did something for our fiftieth episode. You and I did a thing where we you talked about things that we've learned and things that uh, were important to us over the years. And I thought that that was a pretty good episode. So, um, for our hundredth, do do you know do something big too? Meanwhile, Chris Levine, who's been cranking two a week out, is at his seven thousand nine hundred and sixty fourth episode. That, no. That's not that's nice too, Chris. <laughs> no, it's seriously. It's a good number. It's yeah. A, it's All right. the, my, my mine are much shorter. And it's just it's it's I only have to get one person together to do it. So that's gotta be fair about it. You know? Gotta be fair about it. So we talked about things that we could do for the one hundredth episode. Chris texted me. This was an unsolicited text saying he really uh, dug the conversation when Paul asked me uh, a few episodes ago what I thought the best decade for music was. And I told yeah. Chris, look, I, I thought I struck out swinging. Uh, I tried to answer the question, but just ended up belly aching about synthesizers in the 80s like I typically do. And um, that's going to be the theme today. Uh, knock down, drag out, which is the best decade for music. And I, and, and, and I would stipulate pop music. Oh, by the way, by the way, Chris Galley, uh, excuse me, veteran, veteran of the United States Army, Chris Galley, uh, Lance Corporal? Was he Lance Corporal Galley? <laughs> I think that's a Marine thing. So you, oh, you, once again, how... once again, you are on like super thin ice. Was he a lieutenant? <laughs> <laughs> he may be left-handed. He's a creative guy. <laughs> um, I, so he, the only time today that he was busy was the time we, we set to record. So uh, I, 
um, so th which is a, which is a pity because he knows music well uh, and he knows classical music well. But I, one of the times I saw saw Warren Zevon, uh, he said uh, Zevon, as an aside, said, uh, "But it's it's all pop music, isn't it?" I thought that's kind of true, you know. I mean, Mozart in his day was pop music, you know. I mean, you had to be like royalty to hear it. Or, or wealthy, you know, the merchant class. I, I, I don't know how that works. Um, Beethoven would have been like, Beethoven's kind of considered like the metal head of the classical composers, isn't he? He's like, yeah, Beethoven, Beethoven's so metal. Right. Hashtag Beethoven's so metal. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris, what did you say? No, I said him and Rachmaninoff. Both get that, both get that title from time to time. Chris, excuse me, but isn't Rachmaninoff Russian? I believe so. Well, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I just got Stephen Kotkin's book, Averting Armageddon, the Soviet Union from 1971 to 1990, and let me tell you, those were some, those were some malo hombres. Brian? Uh, yeah. So, uh, okay. what the, yeah. So, if you chose 11 minutes and 36 seconds, you're the winner today for Jeff Drops, a uh, <laughs> Russian war reference. <laughs> you, get an, you, you get a managing expectations t shirt. Look for yeah, that in the um, mail. Apologies for those of you who went with Kursk tanks. But uh, better luck next time. Jeff's <laughs> <laughs> really glad he invited other people to his 100th episode. <laughs> uh, okay, so who want? So, so we're talking today. So, so, so Chris, you you heard. Uh, you heard the initial conversation about about music, and just to summarize for those who aren't uh, the faithful listener that you are, um, I, what what did I say? I, I mean, I, I think okay. So there's always been there's always been good music, and there's always been terrible music, and I think even in the '80s with all that synthesizer, there was terrible music. I think that there a lot of things really were transformed in the 90s, but essentially for 20 years, pop music has been pretty terrible. Um, oh, and by the way, Chris, and, and this this will not stand. I heard the episode where you were talking about da to Damien, uh, to your son about Damien Rice. You should be ashamed introducing that wuss to, 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 to Harrison. He <laughs> uh, can handle it. <laughs> So, so, the, so the, the, that's that's the conversation that we had, as I recall it. Uh, Chris, what did you think of the conversation in the first place, and what do you think of the decade? Well, I like the conversation. It, what's funny is that you don't necessarily have to agree with it to like it. You know, there was a lot of things that you'd mentioned that you were super passionate about. I, you know, I can't immediately take them all to heart right now or to mind right now, but. But I, I, that to me is good listening. I like hearing somebody emphatically 
proving their point, you know. Um, two quick things about music for me is that I was a very, very snobbish listener for a very, very long time. And when my son was born and he'd hear a song and he would like the song, it kind of changed me because he didn't know who did it. He didn't care who did it. If he liked it, he liked it. And if he didn't, he didn't. And I thought, you know what? I can benefit from that. I'm probably missing out on some good stuff that just because it's not, you know, indie or, you know, something that's going to look cool as a reference point, I might be missing some cool stuff. So that kind of opened my world a lot. And so I would say maybe within the past 10 years, give or take, I've been a lot more open than I was in the past. So, so that said, I'm catching up on a lot of the different decades that I wasn't paying attention to because I limited myself. So, so that's, that's part of, 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 I think where I'm coming from. The other thing is, is that when I, when, when, when this topic was brought up and it was the idea of, of, of picking a decade, I really tried and I thought to myself, there's amazing things about the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And there's some bright spots after that, too. Not to me as far as as heavily, but that's probably because of my age. Um, not to me, but to the intellectually vacuous and emotionally shallow. Yeah, well, it, music's dumped <laughs> down. Yes, yes, Paul, we'll get to you in a moment. <laughs> I mean, I, but here's the thing, though. That's kind of what I'm getting at is, is that if something is catchy, I don't run away from it like I used to. It doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to hold it in the same place in my heart as some of my favorite records, but I don't run away from it like I used to. So, you know, I'm kind of open now, probably more. I always said that I was, but I really wasn't, you know, so. So anyway, that's I, I, I like to I, I'm going to jump in probably around your guys' thoughts and kind of, you know, see if I, what I can add to the discussion, but it was really hard to pick a decade. It really is. I mean, I like them all for completely different reasons and um, all of them have sentimental value for different reasons. Let's do this. Let, let's, let's do the Levine non-answer and maybe let's let's do the decade we almost chose right. but then we didn't so brian you can you, did you have an also ran well no i was going to ask chris uh to maybe be specific on what he's talking about like what's what's catchy to you that surprised you um what what have you know from a different decade or what, what is what has been a surprise to you that you liked a lot of pop songs that came out when I was growing up, I didn't give the time of day to because I had this like kind of elitist view of the kind of music I was going to listen to. Um, and is there a lot of stuff that, you know, artists that I just, I wouldn't have given the time of day to as a teenager, you know? So I'm just trying to think of, you know, different songs and, and by different people. So it's hard to nail one down, but just, you know, pop music, I guess, pop music, you know, and, and um, ballads, things like that, things that I may not have paid any attention to at the time. Um, 
you know, and I think, again, I can, I can break down each decade what I like about them. That would be easy to do, but picking one is so hard for sentimentality reasons. The, I was an eighties kid. So there's a lot there for sentimentality reasons, but I think that for, you know, if we're going to like completely focus in on rock music, for example, well, I like the seventies for rock music more than I like the eighties, you know, um, if I wanted to think in terms of music kind of being rock music, but it maybe had a little bit more elegance to it, I'd go fifties, you know, and some of the different, especially some of the different like R and B people. And, uh, you know, there's just was a little bit more of a sophistication and I don't know. So, so uh, there's just so much going on. And then the sixties has, I mean, the sixties set the tone basically, basically the sixties, took the rock and roll concept and turned it into rock. And so it was almost they stopped like rolling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pre sixties, post sixties, you know? And so, but so, so it's, it was a super transitional decade. So that's important, you know? And then in the nineties, I thought it was an interesting change too, especially in the beginning to basically take all of the intense party atmosphere from the eighties and get serious, you know. I mean, the, the 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 rock that was happening then was not about girls and parties anymore. They changed it changed everything, which I thought was kind of I was kind of ready for that, you know. And um, and there's these splinter groups all throughout these decades that I wouldn't necessarily say they represent the entire decade for me, but they're important to me. So you know, it's, it's really hard to nail down an entire 10 years of which was the best 10 years. Cause there's so many good people in so many of the decades. Um, I just, I just like, I like sincere music that moves me. However you want to define that, you know? Um, so, so I guess that's my answer. I mean, ultimately I, I, it's really hard. I, 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 if I had to do an almost, I would say 80s specifically because it's my generation and I grew up with it and it was what I was the most used to, but I can't say that there was not stuff from the seventies that dominated, that didn't dominate over the eighties or the sixties mm -hmm. and the fifties that didn't dominate over or the nineties, even in some cases. You know, but that's the one that's, I think, closest to me because that's my generation. Okay, so see, I was trying to get other people involved, but everyone's in awe of the all-star podcaster. So, so, so Brian successful. So, <laughs> the fabulously <laughs> successful. So, Brian, I, I, I tossed the ball to Brian, who lateraled back to Chris. Yeah, yeah, Chris seemed like he knew what he was talking about. So, Bobby, <laughs> yeah, we'll go. We'll go with that. Um, so, I, I think Chris, you and I are probably about the same age. I was born in '76, so I think that we're probably pretty close to the same age. Um, okay. Um, so in the '80s, like I wasn't. I think I was a little bit young to be like choosing my own music, right? Like I, we had like top 40 on from time to time. I, I know Brian's mother for sure. He was <laughs> choosing my own music. 
<laughs> too young to be. Yeah. Um, and so when I, when I, you know, into the night, early nineties is when I was able to, you know, I, I was driving at that point. And so at that time I was able to, you know, be, uh, choose what I wanted to listen to. And so the, uh, uh, like grunge music had a big influence on me at that time because, um, it was my first opportunity to pick up on something that was, had some popularity at the time, and then it just exploded. And so for me, like the most influential in my music taste is probably the nineties, specifically the early nineties. Interesting. What? Okay. So, so, uh, I mean, what were the grunge bands that, Uh, you know, Nirvana was the most popular and Soundgarden. Um, I, I preferred Pearl Jam myself. Um, and, and there's still a lot of, you know, there's still some old Pearl Jam songs, even some of their newer stuff I'll, I'll listen to when I hear it. It's, I think that it's, uh, Jeff is smiling. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> because joy is my default setting, you idiot. <laughs> You know what I like? You know what I like about about grunge, Brian, is that it's like those guys were as influenced by classic rock as much as they were punk, mm-hmm. and you heard them both, and I, I that was cool because usually you, you, it's like the bands picked one or the other. You know, this right. you obviously were like, oh, these people listened to the New York Dolls when they grew up, or oh, these people listened to Led Zeppelin when they grew up, but very few listened to both. And, and we're open about it. You know, another band from that time when they, especially when they were new that I used to like was Smashing Pumpkins for that reason. Mm-hmm. You know, cause you'd hear glam rock in their music, but you'd also hear Black Sabbath in their music. And they just, everything kind of, <laughs> everything went and they weren't ashamed of it, you know? And yeah. that was kind of a, kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Do, do you think that was an openness to music or just or just time because because frankly if you were making music in the in the 80s um you didn't have as much to draw from a young kurt cobain or eddie vetter would have had access to zeppelin and black flag right mm-hmm. yeah that's true okay. that's true You know, there was actually a documentary that came out that was called The Year Punk Broke. And what was interesting about that documentary is that basically, you know, as we all know, in the late 70s, that's when it really started. But it became world dominating in the early 90s. Essentially, just they gave it a new name, but a lot of it's not that different. I always thought it was really interesting, like a band like Soundgarden. To me, sometimes Soundgarden, there's really it's very close to Dio. It's just because of the vocals, mm-hmm. because of the vocals. You So you have a blatantly heavy metal band over here that's unapologetically heavy metal. But then you have somebody capable of singing like that in Chris Cornell. But at the same time, he's not stuck there. Mm-hmm. He can do any genre he wants to do. This guy can do a, a cover of Nothing Compares to You by Prince, and it's mind blowing. And, you know, you Dio wouldn't do that. <laughs> right. 
So, so there just was an openness, I think. But to your point, Jeff, I think that is true. They had more to choose from probably in their influences because they were, they were all Gen Xers basically by, by that point. Yeah. All right. Let's get Paul in here because uh, it's really, because it's the chicks only listen to hear Paul <laughs> and, and, and we've gone this far and he hadn't said anything. See, that's a secret weapon right there. <laughs> Oh, sure. I have a fascinating British person on my on my podcast. <laughs> was that a recruit? Was that a recruiting statement? Is is he trying to? to <laughs> he's yeah, not well, a free agent. He's not we'll, an unrestricted. Oh, no, no, free no, agent. no, no. I, I got you. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk numbers later, Chris. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so now starts the Amy Winehouse hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, so for me, actually, my my favorite, and I, I, the way I try to look at it is, if on my on my um, music streaming service that I uh, I choose to subscribe to, which one? What, what, what do you listen to? I have Apple Music. Okay, three out of four of us do. <laughs> so Chris doesn't got it. <laughs> so we should probably switch. Chris and Joe Rogan. <laughs> Both, both more successful than me <laughs> or Spotify guy. Don't, don't put me in the same category as that guy. I'm just saying. <laughs> so so my, my, my way to sort of rationalize it was what, what do I go back to listen to the most? What do I choose to listen to? And I always revert back to 90s Britpop specifically. So that's why I grew up around the explosion of the Blur versus Oasis versus Pulp versus Supergrass. All of these bands all came up at the same time. Um, and it, it was a great time for British music. Um, so I was I was always firmly in the Blur camp because Oasis were more popular. So it was my just default setting was, well, I'm going to be in the Blur camp then in that case. Um, and songs like Park Life, for example, were just like completely different to anything I'd heard before, obviously, in my, in my short time. But one of the things when we, we watched the um, Johnny Cash biopic, Walk the Line, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and I didn't realize how much, how much good music Johnny, Johnny Cash had. So I had then gone back and sort of listened to a lot of the 60s stuff. My parents grew up in the Beatles era. My dad's got a whole load of the original Beatles LPs and all this sort of stuff. So that's the sort of stuff I would have played around me as I sort of grew up. So that kind of like was my, my influence. Um, and then because of my cousin, who I'm very close friends with, the likes of Nirvana um, were a massive influence as well. So yeah, for me, my favorite era to listen to is the nineties in terms of like the range. And also I, I think there was some very good pop music as well in that era. Um, obviously you see the explosion of things like Spice Girls, for example, which you know, love them or hate them, they were a phenomenon that kind of just took over for, for the period that they were, which was unusual for a girl band, really, if you think about it. At that time, it was all Pretty Boys and or uh, Kurt Cobain. So, yeah, for me, it's it's the 90s. That's that, that's what I wanted, but specifically the Britpop era. I loved I loved the Britpop era. That was good. I, I, it must have been extra special because of where you lived. You know? Yeah, it was just all consuming. It was everywhere. Every, every sort of, you know, weekend show, you know, teenage program that was being shown, it was, you know, they were they were everywhere. So, yeah, it was it was it was mega. Jeff. 
I haven't heard such a long defense of the Spice Girls and their and their importance <laughs> to culture since hey, I had dinner you, with Jerry Hollowell's mother. You you can't tell me Spice World's not a good movie. That's a solid buy that boy. Paul, did you ever hear of a band called Rialto? Uh, I've heard of them um, through my cousin. He was a big influence for me musically, but I was, he was never really what I got particularly into. They, they were a band that did not break here, but man, they were good. It was right mm. in that pocket of, of Britpop, of, of uh, all those really good bands. <laughs> so these guys, when Chris Levine's talking, both, both everybody else is like scribbling furiously. Now I'm talking, everyone's gotten up to go get another orange slice. <laughs> okay, there's no, there's no one, there's no one on the screen whatsoever. All right, so, <laughs> so here's the deal. So, so I kind of wanted to say the 70s because there was like some great stuff. But then that was also disco, which is mostly unlistenable. I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's probably a disco song that I could get behind, but um, can't think of it. Um, you want some uh, suggestions? <laughs> what was that? You want some suggestions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Go, ahead. Go, ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, so it was disco. It was ABBA. It was, you know, Billy, Don't Be a Hero kind of like crap pop. But, you know, there was like really, really great music. And and you could argue that the uh, treacly pop of, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know, what is it? is drifting out There's that song. And like, and if, you, it, if there hadn't been such a significant backlash, you wouldn't have gotten punk. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think it's curious and it's, it's why I asked Brian. Um, I mean, there were always angry acts. There were always angry bands. I mean, so when you when, when you guys were, were, were too young to be choosing your own music, I mean, I was listening to Clash and like Lou, Lou Reed is bleak. I don't know if I told you this, Chris, but I mean, I like listen to Street Hassle again. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, that was that was kind of a mistake. I mean, it had been thirty five years, and I'm not sure I was ready for it. <laughs> I mean, it, I I forgot I forgot parts of it. I forgot like the story. It's like a whole story, but uh, yeah, it's rough. It's like seriously, it's like if Scorsese did an eleven minute song, you know. So, um, so so there so so the let the record show that there were um, bands with passion before Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Okay. Um, but ultimately, okay. And, and so like, well, like, well, Winger, what do you like about music? It's like, well, you know, rock music. I like, I kind of like a long guitar solo. I do. I mean, it, it's true. And um, you know, if you if you think about that, I mean, that's that takes you back to the '70s. Uh, Chris, you were um, 
in one of your recent shows, you, you did a thing about, you were talking, I'm sorry, I can't remember the context exactly, but you were talking about your own limitations, that you can play the guitar mm-hmm. and as much as you would like to, and then you use like 25 words for burn, shred, <laughs> you know, the, the fretboard. Right. Um, that's not you. You can't, you, I mean, you're not. I would love, you know, I would love to. I just don't have, well, I'm impressed by it. I'm I, totally impressed by it. I hear it's, I, I hear it's helpful when talking to girls. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, there's been more than a few times in my life. I wish I was that guy too, but <clears throat> those burning guitar solos were, you know, kind of like peaked in the seventies. There's like a lot of great, I mean, even, even stuff that, and by the way, the follow-up to this and what I'm hoping to get galley on will be uh, guilty pleasures, guilty pleasures. I, I want to have a guilty pleasures episode mm-hmm. and I, and I don't want to wait to the 150th episode, but anyway, um, uh, uh, like, I don't know, Leonard Skinner, you know, I mean, has some great songs and, and when Chris, when you were saying what a snob you were, oh my goodness, if I had a buck for every time I shouted somebody down who just didn't know better with, they suck. Sorry, now I'm going to draw the explicit rating. But I mean, but I mean, just like every band, essentially, you know, I mean, I, I was brutal and in my, I was tremendous in my negative judgments. I, I know, I know. <laughs> it's hard for you to believe, but it's true. So I don't, think, I don't think I ever judged anybody else. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't move myself to, I, it wasn't just listening to music. It was putting yourself in a, in a genre that made you partially identifiable by that genre. And, and that was a lot. It's like I, you know, like like the Breakfast Club, eh, kind I guess in a, in a super exaggerated way, but I mean it's like here you go, you you could be at a stoplight and and you have your window rolled down, and and you're listening to the Clash, and somebody is driving up next to you, you you kind of probably look pretty cool, you know, if you're listening to uh, Paul Abdul came down to Georgia or something. You're going to have a completely different people. They're going to view you differently, not necessarily as not cool, but completely differently. So I kind of always thought that part of my identity was how I identified with my artists. Like, you know, I didn't I didn't ever wear the costume, you know, like if I liked goth, I didn't look like one. You know, if I liked music that the surfers were, were, were listening to, I didn't look like one. But I still liked it, but, I, but I, I identified musically with the different genres. So once that kind of like went away, then it's like you, you, you're you and you listen to what you like. You know, I completely respect and, you know, and I'm not shocked when he said Spice Girls. Because that's oh, a perfect. I'm not, oh, I, I'm not shocked. Because <laughs> that's a perfect example <laughs> of, of what I'm saying about how at this time in my life, if I like the song, I just like the song. You know, I don't. I don't think in terms of well, should I like that because of the packaging? I don't care. You know, I just if I like the song, I like the song. 
and see, I've kind of got there too. And this all started out about me going to a dinner party and then like having to like parry, you know, why don't, why do I hate everybody? I don't hate everybody, but I mean, I, I, I would never put on a Phil Collins album. I never need to hear Sasa Studio. Okay. Nevertheless, I don't mind once in a while, Billy don't lose this, don't lose this number. Um, or against all odds, I kind of I kind of like that song, you know, because that's, that's, that's a beautiful song. Takes me back to 1983, baby. Man, I was I was looking great in my pink eyes odd with the popped collar. Yeah. <laughs> And that's a, he's a pretty good example too of, of, of what we're talking about because you know image wise you know you're not looking at the coolest man in the world but you know against all odds is is that that voice coming out of that little guy is phenomenal it's phenomenal and and it's moving and it's still touching to me now as it was when I heard it as a kid. You know, um, even though I wouldn't have admitted to it as a kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, I kind of agree. So, so there's a lot. I mean, that's just an example of the people who, um, who I who I used to just dislike across the board, um, and and now it's like, okay, well, I mean, I can take a song once in a while, but you know, it's. It's tough when you get locked into a playlist and right. can't and and it's on infinite loop. Okay, so are we ready to? All right, so we're talking about the music that meant the most to us. Does anybody want to make a declarative statement about? So 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 what what I've learned from this discussion over the last few minutes is that the 2010s are probably the best decade for music. <laughs> Is that what we've all agreed to here? Uh, no, no, I'm not putting my name to that. <laughs> There's good bits in it. I, I think for me, what I noticed from 20, so, so like mid 2000s onwards, it feels more being churned out. Whereas I think the 90s for me feel a little bit more still holding true to real people making real music rather than you're always going to get the people who are sort of like made by the music company but it felt like more does that make sense more more real people were coming through still at that time um whereas now it just feels like the majority of the music unless you are for example a beyonce you have to release an album quickly all the time mm -hmm. to stay relevant otherwise you're going to go out of out of the public's mind that's what it feels like at the moment to me anyway. Chris would better would know better. Let's let us Chris what he thinks. It's a different world now. You know, I mean, I I I I'm I can speak for me, I might be able to speak for more more than me, but buying a record or buying a cassette or buying a CD or whatever the whatever it was, and going home and looking at the artwork and putting on the headphones and laying in the middle of your bedroom floor was an experience. Now it's a singles world, which it was in the very, very beginning. You know, I don't I, I don't even know if it's a singles world, Chris. I think I think that it's it's a 15, 30 second snippet is and and if you know it, it shows up on 
on a Instagram post or on a TikTok, and if it's catchy enough, then that's that's all that that's that's what you want as an artist. Um, I think it was interesting when Adele released her latest record, she made a point of saying to people, listen to it as it's intended, track one through whatever, 12, because there was a reason it was laid out the way it was. And I think back to one of my favorite albums was um, Green Day, American Idiot. And if you listen to that, that is deliberately done as a story almost all the way through from track one all the way through. But that that definitely isn't the case anymore. As you say, I think, you know, if, if people listen to an album, which I think is rare in the first place, pretty much everyone's going to stick it on shuffle and just see what happens. On shuffle. Shuffle. Um, <laughs> So, so, okay, so I got a couple of questions that maybe you guys can enlighten. So it seems, okay, so you, Brian makes this funny joke about the 2010s. Uh, and there, there do seem to be some talented people that I don't care about. Uh, Justin Timberlake, of course, started, started, really blew up in the aughts, right? Or were they? I think NSYNC was, yeah, mid, mid, to, mid to early to mid to 2000s, I would have thought. Maybe even late, late late 90s um that's when they were really you know starting to get some steam um but then early 2000s is when it was really took off and he he was in nsync yeah so nsync were active 95 to 2002 actually who really Mm. 95 they were like children (laughs) they literally were yes who who were the backstreet boys then you want their names or <laughs> they have or just, were they or just in the, like, want me to give you their star signs which which one I was, I was confused in sync and uh <clears throat> new kids on the block and new kids on the block had mark Wahlberg's brother donnie who who really peaked in the short-lived nbc series boomtown as brian and i know yes and then he went on to greater fame playing like a hard a hard-nosed uh, sergeant for the NYPD in Blue Bloods, where his sister is played by that good-looking Bridget Monahan. No, Moynihan. Brian, will help. McCallaghan. <laughs> the ex Mrs. Tom Brady. <laughs> no. He got her in trouble and then dumped her for Giselle Bunch. <laughs> that was the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the girl, but she's in Blue yeah. Bloods as well. Okay, so so all right. So anyway, so anyway, uh, Donnie Wahlberg was in uh, New Kids on the Block. Uh, Justin Timberlake was in NSYNC, and I don't know who was in Backstreet Boys. Are, are Backstreet Boys even in the conversation? Well, I think that they're in a conversation as far as like huge boy bands in the late nineties that it was, it was like, it was sync and Backstreet Boys were just like battling mm-hmm. out for okay. the, the, the top so, single so, at the time. All right. That wasn't my question though. Super interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. My question is, so it seems like Justin Timberlake is a really talented guy. Um, Ariana Grande, who I only know from seeing her with Jimmy Fallon on the tonight show. Okay. She seems like a very talented young woman. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I mean, she looks like she's 21, maybe. 
but you know maybe but somebody let her go out with pete davidson so that doesn't seem like a good idea anyway do you have to like have this do you have to have the whole package in the sense of you have to be telegenic. You have to have a great voice. You have to be funny. You have to be able to act. Lady Gaga acted in A Star is Born. Um, and I heard Brad Bradley Cooper talking about, you know, when you're, when, when you're directing your first movie, it's helpful to have, you know, an ace, an ace in your hand, like, like Lady Gaga, who can, you know, peel paint off the walls with her voice. I mean, it's very powerful, right? So, so I mean, is that is that what? Insofar, it's always been unfair. It's always been uh, that is the most talented don't necessarily rise to the top. Um, is that is that what the current moment in pop music is about? Anybody? Well, I think so, because it's, it's not just about having a hit single um, where you would, and you would have no idea what the, what the person singing the song look like. Um, now it's, it's, yeah, you you do the night show promotion. You, you have your social media, you have um, your, your concert. Isn't just a concert. It's, it's a Vegas show with pyrotechnics and everything else. It's, it is so much more on so many different levels to not only have the talent, but to remain relevant and to look good doing it is um, just a, more of a requirement to stay popular. See, I, I, I always found my music when I was growing up listening to the radio. And I would listen to it religiously before school, after school, you know, on the weekends, you know, illegally recording the top 40 hits every Sunday, you know, that sort of thing. That was how I found new music. You know, in the UK, you had Radio One was the main station. And every evening from like 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., they would have a, a DJ on who would play, you know, new bands, bands that haven't been discovered or, or played yet. But that doesn't seem to be the case. And, and to Brian's point, it seems actually the, the way to get your career launched now is actually to go viral somehow, get yourself on a on a on a TikTok or something as a, as a backing soundtrack, and that that's how you you kind of get yourself recognised more so. And I okay. think I think that these uh, singing contest television shows add to that too. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're you're voting on a person, you're not really voting on their voice. I mean, you might like their voice, but you're you're getting a full package. You know, I I I don't know. I I sort of see a pattern. Uh, that's kind of repetitive from the fifties until now in a different kind of a way. It's almost like in the fifties, there were teen idols, you know, and that's, they marketed that like crazy. Yeah. Some of them had totally, man, totally manufactured. Right. 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 And, I'm, and, and of course there were other like groups like the platters that came out in the fifties that were just made gorgeous music. I mean, I, th that, that band, had a singer named Tony Williams. Nobody really cares about him by his name because he's just kind of a one member of an old band, but he has one of the best voices I've ever heard. And so, so you had that at the same time as you had, you know, teen idols too. So you could usually find something, you know, and they both got played on the radio. Then in the sixties, it was almost like, okay, we're going to be free and be allowed to be artists. 
and we're going to do whatever we want. And so we're going to throw some of the, some of the, you know, I don't care what the record company says I should put out what I shouldn't put out. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then that appeals to youth. Right. So can I interrupt? Yeah. Do you think the part of that, part of that absolute sincerity was picked up by the masses, the mob, uh, what the founding fathers was called the mob, uh, as, as like, oh yeah, you know, Dylan writes his own songs. So, so whether you were getting him or not, and I, and I certainly, and, and look, I like Dylan as much as the next guy. Uh, but some of the poetico schmetico stuff is pretty dense. Okay. I, I mean, there, there, there are lyrics that I want to like, but I don't really know what they mean. Which makes me think that if you were dropping acid in a Greenwich Village coffee house, you for sure weren't getting it. Or me, I don't know. Or maybe it actually helped. I, I don't know. Couldn't say. Um, do, do you think that that, that um, uh, authenticity actually helped sell? Yes. Yes, because I think that it showed you could do more. You didn't have to have a two minute and 15 second pop song. You could do whatever you wanted to do, you know, and, 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 you know, what was interesting about somebody like Dylan is that no, not everybody understood. He might not even have understood some of his own work, you know, but he, but he put it out anyway and it became conversation pieces. And it's like, so then when he get interviewed, like in the fifties, if they interviewed Elvis Presley, it would be like, what's your favorite milkshake? They're not going to ask that question to Bob Dylan because he's taken it to some different intellectual level, even if they don't get it, even if he doesn't get it, there's a new artistic expression that's happening because they've decided and they've been allowed by the powers that be in the record business to express themselves, you know? And then what happens in the seventies is basically that matures. You get better, in my opinion, a lot of times better musicianship, you know, more time to make a dark side of the moon type record because people leave you alone and you can make crazy good things that you, because the sixties let you now in the seventies, you can be way more experimental. And then by the, go ahead. May go I ahead. add, may yeah. I add, may I add that also by the seventies, they were, a, the artists themselves were awash in money. Yes. Most, right. So, so everybody knows that when you sign a deal with the record company, you're essentially getting screwed and you're going to be able to live large as long as the record company's interested in you. But by the mid seventies, Zeppelin was not toil was not afraid of Atlantic records. Okay. No, no. They, they, they could have made Zeppelin four on their own. They didn't have to, but they could have. And that, and that was true of a lot of, bands right paul mccartney really didn't need anybody's help and and surely got none uh with some of those wings out <laughs> <laughs> well zeppelin by the time they were big and they were actually made a name for themselves they changed um concerts because essentially i can't give you a specific percentage of what it was before but before what would happen is is if, a, if an act booked at a venue the promoter and the venue would get a certain percentage. It was always more than the band. Mm -hmm. 
And then the band got a percentage being there. Well, Led Zeppelin was so big and they were such a guaranteed sellout for whatever arena they were going to play that their managers like we're taking 90 or we're not going to do this. And so it changed everything. So all the big bands that came after that could demand that as long as this place is going to sell out, they're making a lot of money. And, and um, you know, so you're absolutely right. And I, well, I think and you, you mentioned, you mentioned dark side of the moon. And I know that that was earlier in, in like 73, if I recall. Um, but, but but they they had enough demonstrated success that first of all they were financially secure, but also then the record company was willing to say, well we're not entirely comfortable with this, but let's see what it does because you made us a ton of money last time. Yeah. Well, can you imagine just hypothetically? Can you imagine a band like Talking Heads having a chance now? No. They basically allowed them to find themselves over three, four, five albums and, and develop. Yeah. yeah. You know, now it's like if we don't strike gold within the first single, we're moving on to the next 20 year old. And um, it's it just took a Britney Spears planet. three or four records to get to Toxic. <laughs> but, but that sort of patience is gone. I feel that in the 80s that there was, again, a degree of um, freedom just because of, of just the kind of a, just the whole feel of the 1980s was like a big party to a lot of places. And so that came across in the music kind of like it did in the 60s, totally different music, but that, that kind of thing happened. And then in the 90s, just like in the 70s, it got mature again. You know, so you, you, it wasn't, you know, party, 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 tailgate party, hang out with girls. It was, you know, um, it, it was grunge, you know, and it, and it got like, the, you know, sometimes that sometimes, I mean, there was a playfulness to it, but it got more, it got less dumb, you know, it got, it got more intellectual. Um, and then in the thousands, we went right back to the boy bands again. We went, it's like we went right back to, to uh, teen idols. So, so it's just an interesting to me. It's just, it's repeating itself in well, its own way. It's a repeating itself. Nothing new under the sun, right? Yep. Um, okay. So, okay. So a couple of things when you're talking about the eighties, um, in, in his book, Little Steven Van Zandt uh, talked about this being the, the period of peak album moolah. That I mean, people were making so much money selling records in the 80s. Um, and, you know, I'd kind of forgotten because I was a really late adopter to CDs. But CDs hit in the mid 80s right you rebought all your records again <laughs> yes you did well i didn't but other people did yes that's right that's right so the tapes too you know i mean or at least to some degree so you start talking about cassettes we're gonna lose paul and everybody else <laughs> i had cassettes because you, you you bought cassettes if you couldn't afford the cd <laughs> I know I did. Basically, so I, I had a lot of cassettes. Yeah, definitely. 
But I think okay. what's interesting as well is like the the whole experience of going to the music store for whatever that week's record was was a big deal. You know, you'd be talking about it at school and stuff with your mates, and they would be like, "Oh yeah, we're going into the the city centre to whatever, you know, Virgin Records or whatever the music store was at the time." Um, and you could still, buy, you know, buy the single for you know, I don't know what the equivalent would be, like three dollars or whatever, or you could buy the album for for ten or twelve. And yeah, that was like a thing. Um, I remember having a, a stack of very thin CD cases with the uh, with with singles in. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's what the kids of today are missing. <laughs> well, no, I mean, look, I, I, I just like Chris, I mean, I, I remember buying a record on the first day and taking it home and following along to the lyrics and, you know, laying in my, you know, laying in the middle. I don't know what, I don't know why the middle of the floor became such a magical place. I mean, if I, if I tried to listen to music in the middle of the floor now, Julian would assume I've had a heart attack. And she'd call nine one one. You know what's um, ir- what's ironic, guys, is that I have a fourteen year old who has absolutely no feeling toward the music of his own generation. I'm sure I had something to do with that indirectly. I don't think I coached him or anything, but everything he listens to is sixties, seventies, and eighties, maybe nineties. And what's interesting is, is you know what did it for him? Things like the Guardians of the Galaxy, those mm. soundtracks, they have all those 80s AM hits on them. Well, he liked them. He liked, well, so what else is out there? And then, you know, you, the different, you know, uh, just soundtracks to the movies that he likes. He'll hear a Queen song or he'll hear, a, you know, something and it'll be like, this is way more exciting to him than what's on the radio now. And, and yeah. so... So that's kind of interesting from a perspective of him borrowing, you know, hey, dad, can I borrow your REM murmur record? And he's 14 now. That's, I'm pretty happy about that because we can have a conversation, you know, and I I promised myself if he liked his own music, I wasn't going to be the, oh, back in my day thing. But he doesn't like his, he doesn't like his own generation's music. It's it's a bullet there, pal. I'm telling you. And if he did, that's cool. But I he just he's like, and, and this is his words, is it's dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> now I, now for me as a as a you look uh, down like you were quoting him. You like no, you wrote it no, down. No, it's, I want to make sure I and he said, and I quote, yeah, it's dumb, end no, quote. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's different. If that comes out of me. I'm I'm an old fogey who's stuck in the 1980s, but for a 14 year old to say it, it's it's kind of liberating. It actually is pretty cool, you know, to to hear that, you know, because he's like, you know, seriously, who am I going to want to listen to if I have to make a choice, Led Zeppelin or Lil Nas X? Think about it. I mean, it's a no brainer. And and it's not and it's not because one's new or one's bad or one's this or one's it's because he thinks it's he thinks it's dumb. I think you mean little Naz the tenth. Oh, is that what you do? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But there's a reason as well why these bands are still selling out so massively, right? You talk about people like Pearl Jam, for example. Um, they're doing massive stadium tours still around the states even now. Uh, people like the Foo Fighters. You know, despite the tragedy that they've suffered, they've sell out massive, and they put on an amazing show. 
Dave Grohl is just something else. Um, you know, people like Green Day, people like that. They, they still sell out massively, probably you know bigger than some of the current artists that that are out there because of the uh, the longevity. And I think I think as well some of the um, some of the realness to them. You're right. I, I saw Pearl Jam twice in the '90s. Actually, once in the '90s and once in the 2000s. Neither time I did, did I buy the ticket. I had friends that were going, and they had an extra ticket. Do you want to go? And it was great. It was great. It was I was watching a rock band. It would felt good to watch to watch a rock band who are doing very impressive guitar solos and who are holding down a really good bass line and a lead singer who's acting like a lead singer and a drummer who plays better than me. You know that you just you, you just it's it was a sh- it was a show. It wasn't you know it wasn't explosions and you know costumes. It was a rock show. It was great. It was great. I saw them in San Diego, I think, and I saw them in um, at uh, Hollywood Bowl, I think. No, 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 no. What's the other place? The uh, Greek Theater. The Greek Theater. I, I was going to guess the Bob Hope Dinner Theater. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so is is there anything to it, 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 or is it just a simplistic? uh <clears throat> distillation but i mean is there any i i noticed that there's not a lot of overlap that pe- guys tend to like pearl jam or nirvana but often not both uh that same dynamic exists with the beatles and the stones uh is there anything to that i mean it's one of them i mean they're both Kurt Cobain's lyrics were incredibly introspective, right? I mean, a lot, a lot of his songs were about his pain, right? And the extent to which people dug Nirvana, it's kind of like because they felt the same way. Isn't that correct? Or is it? So, and this is maybe an overly simplistic way of looking at it. I felt that Nirvana was angrier and louder. And for me, it just wasn't my taste at that time. And th- there's a handful of Nirvana songs that I love that I, I really enjoy listening to, but it, it was it was almost just too much for me. So that's just me. I, 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 if I could add, I think, remember how I mentioned how um, a lot of the grunge movement, it's like they like both punk and they like classic rock and it kind of helped make that what it was. Nirvana was way more punk and Pearl Jam was way more classic rock. They both like both. Mm-hmm. But uh, you hear like in a song like Yellow Leadbetter, that's that sounds like a Hendrix riff, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, you know, Nirvana wasn't going to do that. They would be more like the Stooges, you know. I see. OK. OK. Uh, good point. Um, uh, I had an old friend who compared Elvis Costello and Graham Parker as when they would throw down Elvis Costello would go punk. But Graham Parker was always more of a like a, a pub rock guy. Like he'd be, um, I mean, he, I mean, I mean, both both of them wrote some angry lyrics. Uh, but it, but it manifest it as a doctor might say the symptoms presented differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that Cobain was more of a tortured soul than than Vetter. Uh, not not that not that they either of them had easy lives necessarily growing up, but but uh, the background when you read about them both, you know, Kurt Cobain's life was a mess. 
you know, and, and, and for, for somebody who's kind of that kid in the classroom that is just there and nobody notices to being in the front of a band that's the biggest band on the planet and everybody's emulating you, he couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. He couldn't handle it. And, and, and I, think, I think Eddie Vedder kind of can handle it and almost, he tries to, he comes across like, oh, stardom doesn't really matter to me. But he, I get the impression that on some level, he likes it. <laughs> I got the impression that I never got that impression from Cobain. Cobain, he just really, he didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. He didn't know what to do with it. And it was too much, you know? And, and uh, so I, I think that, you know, I don't know. I, I, I view kind of the Pearl Jam part of it as just, uh, it, was, it was easier on the heart to listen to Pearl Jam than it was Nirvana. Because Nirvana was just, even if they were having fun and joking around, you still saw that this guy was miserable. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so I, I have, okay, okay. so I, I have a little present at the creation story. And that is uh, one of my friends uh, was very cutting edge in his musical taste. And he got turned on probably through the British press. Um, so like, what's the British, you know, the, the rock press. I mean, in the U S there was, there was Rolling Stone and there was spin, but both NME? of them got, hmm? NME magazine. That was the big one in the UK. Yeah. 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 It was probably that, uh, he heard about Husker Du and, uh, the guy there. So it was like a, it was like a, a, a trio, right? And the the guy who I think wrote most of the music was named Bob Mould, right? Mm-hmm. And so he would be my age or a little older. I've actually seen him. He he appeared on something. Brian, you, you, do you know Bob Mould? I do. I sent he he had a performance on Letterman, one of Letterman's last uh, later shows. Um, he did a performance, and I sent it to you. And I thought I it was like great. It. I thought yeah. it, I thought it, I thought it I thought it rocked. I thought it. I thought it was awesome. And you were like, Bob, Bob Mould is old enough to know better and it's too loud and too fast. <laughs> uh, he, is, he, he is a rock star. So that's kind of what he's used to doing. So <laughs> Bob Mould and, and, and uh, Husker Du are kind of in that same pocket as like the R.A.M.s. And uh, even like if you wanted to go harder, like bands like Black Flag, these, these people were touring the country, just living from gig to gig. That's true. And, and made it because of college radio, mm-hmm. you know? And so. Okay. Yes, correct. But, but it's hard to imagine the Seattle alt-rock explosion without them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I uh, interviewed Grant Hart from Husker Du. Really? Yeah, yeah, he's he he recently he died a few years ago, but I, I I interviewed him and it was interesting. It was just you know he was very he was an artist. He was very very artistic in the way he answered his questions. He actually gave me an ultimatum before I did the uh, interview, which I thought was awesome. And it's gonna sound really snippy, but it didn't come in from him. He's like, "I'll totally do the interview with you. Just please make the questions interesting." because he dealt with so many lame interviews before. And so I would ask him questions about, you know, 
abstract things. And because I knew his music, I could talk about something that wasn't common. And but he was a good, he was a nice, he was nice to me, you know. Good. But you're absolutely right. You know, people like Dave Grohl constantly cite people like Grant Hart as a because he was a drumming singer, you know, okay. and that's there you go, you know. Okay. All right. So I was going to, so, so part of me wanted to say the seventies, but here's what I was, I'm really, really getting a little sensitive about being lumped in with the boomers. And a lot of the stuff that I like is hashtag. Okay. Boomer, you know, I mean the, the, you know, and, but, but like not Zeppelin uh, and not the Beatles, but you know, I mean the stones in that era, you know, look, I, I think the Stones were more interesting in the 70s than they were in the 60s. I think Dylan was more interesting in the 70s than in the 60s. Um, well, let's put it this way. I, I, I never intentionally played Dylan before he was electric. And I don't care. I don't care if that makes Pete Seeger want to fight me or not. Um, but I actually, if I may would would like to tell you the greatest decade in pop music it's, it's all it's all led up to this mm -hmm. right now but first here's chris levine to tell you about his podcast oh no come on oh, no 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 we we uh okay paul could you say a few words about mrs winger.com i would love to yes mrs winger.com uh, if you, like me, own a property ping, you may have an issue from time to okay, time. That's well. <laughs> <laughs> Assume we have listeners. Chris Levine's got listeners in, in Wales. We exactly. Don't. And we've, we've got Chris Levine on the show. So naturally, we'll get those Welsh listeners, right? Isn't that oh. how it works? Bloody hell. <laughs> As I was saying, have you, like me, tried to reheat some food in your property ping and ended up with? Bernie Fingers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have the solution. Mrs. Wenger has produced a revolutionary product we like to call the Bowl Cozy. You stick the bowl in the cozy with the food, in the microwave, heat it up, slash, nuke it, take it out safely. You can enjoy your piping hot produce, hands intact, Deliciousness ensues. And all I have to do is go to mrswinger.com? You're right, Jeff. That's all you have to do. And they're there, ready for you to purchase. Hey, Paul, while you're on the subject, what happens if you go to www.managingexpectationspodcast.com? Well, did you know, Jeff? There's some really cool stuff on that website as well. We have posters. We have stickers. We have T-shirts of varying sizes, styles, and colors. Just one click, and you can have one shipped to you for a small fee. Okay, so here's a couple of things I've, that, that I've come to notice. Uh, so uh, the, the, they're not just posters. They're prints. It's art, art prints. So that's a difference of about $20. So let, we need to get that. We need to get that straight. The other thing is uh, 
they are they were sold to me as 18 by 24. But you know how like a two by four isn't really a two by four? It's actually like trimmed down some. Do 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 any of you know that? Oh, for I do. I do know that. I do know. So they're, they're actually a little smaller. So if you if you have a frame that's eighteen by twenty four, you're going to have some daylight, which is exactly what we're burning now. And that's why, Chris, it's okay to talk about MrsWinger.com, ManagingExpectationsPodcast.com, and also talk to talk about our favorite website or our favorite podcast, uh, and that is um, Chris Levine's Refresher Pop Culture Therapy Podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Seriously, if you want to check out your the books you've written, the books books you've published, and uh, uh, other stuff, what's your website? It's refresherpodcast.yolasite.com. It's refresherpodcast.yolasite.com. And really, all that we try to do on that podcast is just try to explain psychology using pop culture examples. Because it seems like we can bond with those examples, whether we listen to them or whether we watch them, you know, they've, they've touched us in some way. And so it's easy to learn about different things. And then we also have a, a series that we have called Psychology on Vinyl, where we break down albums that we love and kind of go into the psychological thoughts and feelings and vibes that you get from the various albums so we mix those, kind of pepper those in with the episodes as well. And the goal of it is to just come walk away feeling better than you did before you started. Because there is a big difference between worry and concern. That is correct. All right. So the best decade for music was the 1950s. And I can even be more specific. The best year for music was 1959, and here's why. You had Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra both in their prime. In 1959, you had jazz, the, the bebop guy. The, the, there were still Count Basie and other acts that were swinging. The bebop guys had had their day, but then a new jazz um, vocabulary was coming along with Ornette Coleman. Um, and, and, and others. In 1959, both Kind of Blue by Miles Davis and Time Out by Dave, the Dave Brubeck Quartet came out. I'm telling you, if, um, um, oh, what, uh, I, it escapes me. Um, uh, but, but that Time Out uh, take five, take five is a song that will make you feel cooler than James Bond. It, 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 it amplifies, it's got big swinging energy. It's great. Uh, and if, and while 59 is one thing in the big picture in the fifties, you also had a fellow burst on the stage, merging white culture and black music, his name, was Elvis Aaron Presley. So uh, without the 50s, 
we'd be talking about uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which wouldn't have as cool a soundtrack uh, because the 50s didn't have one. We're running up. Also contributing to 1959, Flavor Flav and Morrissey, both born in 1959. So we see how important it is. You know what? There you go. It's it's been great having Chris Levine on the podcast, <laughs> but I don't want to talk about how, about how I, I just can't abide the Smiths for very, very much at all. I mean, I liked Meat is Murder a little, but it's just like, just kind of whiny, you know? And then even R.E.M., like after, after what was the uh, album with Pretty Persuasion? The Reckoning. The Reckoning. Uh, after The Reckoning, you know, to come out with Everybody Hurts? Okay, come on. Rub some dirt on it. It's true. Everybody does hurt. But, you know, suck it up. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Brian's got to go. You know why? Because Friday's the night the family goes to David. David Buster's, of course. Yeah. How could we forget? Or but Buster Smith. I was about to say, is, is the Jimmy Smith's marathons on Saturdays or Sundays now? Which uh, it's it's actually he's it's actually a weekend, whole weekend. So it's kind of <laughs> exciting. <laughs> Uh, Chris Levine, have you have you you've met famous people in LA? Anybody as cool as Edward James Almost, who introduces himself as Ed? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I oh shot a loaded question. I don't know. I I was raised there, so I came in contact with a, a, a decent amount of people that might have known their name but I, I don't really know a lot of people like know them know them you know um, oh chris doesn't want to tell you but doris day was in fact his nanny yes yeah that's yeah, she she that's she true. would watch young chris that's after true. school yeah that's true she would uh, <laughs> she would help me peel the carrots that i would feed my pony All right. This has been the 100th episode of the Managing Expectations podcast, uh, which in its, in its own humble way, exceeded the, the expectations of a great number of people. Don't get too used to it. it. You'll be happier. You'll be happier if you don't. Hey, can I, can I be in on the guilty pleasure thing? If you want to be, sure. Yeah, but yeah. I've, hey, but I got dibs on Pat Benatar's Shadows of the Night. Okay. All right. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> and I've already taken Spice Girls, so you can't have that one either. Yeah, I don't, you know, frankly, frankly, Paul, I don't think you, you, you're guilty enough about that. <laughs> You have to feel guilty for liking this piece of junk. So I can't wear my Union Jack dress next week. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Now tell me, now tell me.
See, you can't, you, you sneer at it, Jeff, but you know you love it, really. This is the problem. <laughs> I would rather watch the live-action Josie and the Pussycats than watch Spice World. I think mean, that's what we should do for the Guilty Pleasures episode, have a Spice World watch-along with uh, Jeff commentary. <laughs> I think Elvis Costello is in that movie. Did you know that? Yeah. He's, no. Is he really? He did a cameo? <laughs> Well, Mr. Declan McManus does have a healthy respect for making a living these days. I remember he was, uh, uh, wait, didn't he, wasn't he in one of the uh, Austin Powers movies with Burt Bacharach? I think he, yeah, I think he was. Hmm? And um, did a cameo on 30 Rock. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. He did one on Frasier too, I think. He's in a few. I'm saying he's done quite a few different uh, different TV show cameos. That's another guilty pleasure, Paul. <laughs> That's there's nothing guilty about Frasier. Uh, okay, well, have... Next okay. next week's episode is going to be just Frasier, Spice Girls, you name it. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of spoiling the show for everybody else right now, Paul. You're just like you've become just a just a rambling stream of consciousness of what we would consider guilty pleasures. Yeah. When does, when does, when does Matt about you kick in, Paul? (laughs) (laughs) We haven't even got to the notebook yet. Goodness me. That that, that middle period, Paul Reiser. (laughs) Oh, uh, so, so you know what the number one song in the country is? And and I just know this. Does anybody know? Because of because of uh, Netflix's Stranger Things, it's a song from 1986, and I'd like I'd like to sing a little bit of it to you. Kate Bush, no. I don't I don't like that song. And if I could make a deal with God, make it running up that hill, running up that building, yeah. There it is, number one song in the country. I remember that. I remember that came out. That Kate Bush, she was a fetching lass. That that sounded a, a little bit like Mrs. Doubtfire singing. <laughs> <laughs> Another great movie. <laughs> Paul will, <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what. The next the next time the next time Brian fails okay on an entire week Paul maybe you'd like to do a solo managing expectations podcast and you could just extol the 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 value of the entire middle period Robin Williams catalog I'm just going to do my top 10 movies you know Mrs. Dalfire, Spice World, The Notebook you know things like that it's going to be three hours of me dissecting those movies (laughs) And it'll probably be our, our highest rated episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys hear? Paul's doing the whole thing by himself. Hey, you know, you know what dawned on me real quick? I, I know. I'm sorry, guys. I don't mean to drag it out, but I. I no, it's Brian. It, we're all fine. It's Brian. I, 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 I now, it, it now dawns on me. I think I may have met Paul before. I think my wife. Did your guys' wedding flowers? Okay. I 
That was as strange as surprising as this may sound. Despite my previous comments, that was the flowers were not my my I, department. I, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, he is British. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. What? This is the world. Wow. There we go. Okay. So, on behalf of. The aide-de-camp, Brian Grimm, the lieutenant and nephew, Paul Southern, and very special guest, Chris Levine. It's like, like when the Harlem Globetrotters are on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> that is perfect. That is absolutely perfect. <laughs> I'm Jeff Winger wishing you the best of tomorrows.